The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Morning, Tabernacle. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors. I want to add my welcome. Uh, I'm so glad that you chose to be here with us. Uh, You know, summer's going by really fast. Anybody else? It does. Uh, So sometimes we just need to take a breath, slow down. Uh, How fast it goes by is a little bit up to us. Uh, We're in the Once Upon a Time series. and, and, and I love it because it's kind of sporadic and we're pulling these stories that Jesus told. But before we begin that, uh, today is about prayer. And I need to go to a heavy place before um, I begin. Uh, for those of you who are aware, there was a, a, another tragic accident uh, in, in the Fife Lake area. And uh, our small communities uh, lost two 17-year-olds, uh, tragically. And we've experienced what I believe is enough of that. Um, There's a portion of me that feels angry, and there's a portion of me that is afraid, and there's a portion of me that I don't even know what to say. But Jesus teaches us in Scripture the, 
the word of God is that sometimes the Holy Spirit translates for us. And the emotions and the fear and the tears are so heavy that we have no words, no language to speak it. And it's called a groaning. And the Holy Spirit takes that groaning perfectly before our Father in heaven. I offer that as comfort. It's not much, because I don't have the answer as to why. And I don't have the answer as to what to do next. But I know within our community here, it's happened before, and we have continued on. And it seems like as this endless cycle of tragedy happens, those who've been there before often can reach out to those that are experiencing it freshly. So if you'll bow your heads, we're going to begin with prayer for those families. Father, we come before you without words to truly express. We're devastated again. And we're afraid again. Father, we can only begin to imagine what it must feel for the loved ones of these two beautiful young women that are now with you. May you comfort them. May you wrap your arms around them in a tangible way that we can't even ask for. May your presence and your purity and your holiness and your love just embrace them at this time. Father, I ask for the courage for those of us here who may know, who may have an opportunity placed before us just to love someone that we don't shy away, that we take that opportunity. May you lift all people involved up, and may you hold them tenderly as only you can. In your blessed name, amen. It's kind of a hard shift, um, but we're going to make it. Once upon a time, those words bring me back to a five-year-old little Timmy. And five-year-old little Timmy was amazing. Uh, he had brilliant thoughts and a brightness about him, uh, and, and he was full of energy, and he moved all of the time, and he often drove those around him crazy, uh, and, and that's a good thing. But there was a calming moment, I can remember, uh, as, as, as this little guy, uh, and that would be when my mom would read to me. Uh, and, and my mom did it out loud and, and did it well, and uh, it was something that was very, very profound because I uh, have a high level of comprehension when it comes to reading, and uh, I, I, I read like crazy, uh, and I have forever, and the big words, I can pronounce some of them, and I know what they mean, uh, but often, you know, in these stories, in these once upon a time stories, they teach us this beautiful lesson, uh, and, and there's always conflict, isn't there? There's always this little level of, that's what makes a great story, there's conflict, there's good, there's evil. You know, the, 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 the opening for this, the Once Upon a Time series, Bryson did such a great job of, you know, that opening segment, bringing just a couple memories back. But this memory of me and my mom reading was out of these books. Uh, maybe some of you remember these books, it's called the Golden Books. Anybody, yeah? Raise your hands, because you're going to identify yourself as old. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and she got to this story in there, and it's called The Emperor's New Clothes. Uh, so I don't spell, and I'm trying to type that in. And I actually spell so poorly, which doesn't really match reading well, but I spell so poorly that I had to abbreviate it to the emp. That's really funny. The emp has no clothes. Uh, that's me. That's one of the flaws I have. My brain doesn't connect there. So, uh, but, but what enamored me about this story as a five-year-old was it was the very first story I'd ever heard about this group of people called nudists. Okay, I hope you know the story, because then that would make sense. Uh, so that kind of, you know, a little five-year-old, it's like, whoa, there's those people. They exist. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, 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 but what I really loved about the story, and what I really remembered about the story most, was the heroes in the story were the children. They were the little guys. They were me. And it was cool, because, you know, this childlikeness that is there, that's present in this story, I believe that the author of that had this thing of being childlike, right? Of being childlike. Because we are children deep down. In fact, I'd looked at John Williams, one of our pastors here, and he's the one with the white beard, and it's, man, you're an ugly kid. There's this beauty in this childlikeness, and the hero of the story was the one who could speak the truth, unadulterated and unafraid. That the trappings around the story that all the adults got caught up in, the kids didn't. And they had faith like a child. And there's this strong message in there. So Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter 11 to set this story up that I'm going to read to you in just a moment, is uh, it, Jesus had been away praying often. And he comes back from one of his prayer journeys or whatever it was, wherever the quiet place he sought out at that time. And the disciples, who are children, ask him to teach them. Will you teach us how to pray? What a great question. Will you teach us that? Because little kids, you know, the, the, the little guys, the little girls out there, uh, they, they want to learn. They want more. They want more. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to urge you to listen to this sermon as a child, to go way back, to get rid of the trappings of adult. It's very difficult to do because you were probably an ugly child too. <laughs> Amen. So, the story, if we, can, if we can get back to being a child and being able to see truth and being able to see beauty and being able to see love and get past some of the things that really limit us from enjoying the scripture and going, here's the answer. So this is what Jesus teaches them after teaching them the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. After that, he continues to teach. This is what scripture says in Luke 15, 5 through 13 in the NLT version. It says, then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, 
A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Verse 9, and so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So, if you sinful people, that's us, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Sometimes I just want to have an entire sermon where we just sit and watch Bryson's stories come to life. Because truly, my artistic skill is that of a really ungifted five-year-old. And the picture is profound. Because it's showing this level of persistence. It's showing this, I I, got to feed this guy, and, and so I'm going to continue to knock, and I love, you know, the gift that is given of the bread probably wasn't given, like, super graciously. After the knocks continue and continue, it's the earthly guy is going to come down and go, here, now go away, right? Okay, that's this example, so even if it's not going to be out of friendship and love for you, at least the continual knocking will get an answer. I believe that God wants us to get three points out of this that, that he's revealed to me. Uh, there are many more points. This could be a series without a doubt, but three of them that he's been revealing to me over the last year of my life are here. And this is the first point that I want you to get is they asked to be taught. They asked to be taught. They asked to be taught. As adults, if we pop out of our five-year-old and, and we get to adults, that's a very difficult thing to do because we pretty much have our, our, our act together, right? And we're not going to bother people. We have this emperor new clothes type of a thing where we sometimes want to be that crowd that surrounded him and lied to him because it's very important for us to be accepted and to have power. But the five-year-old... Down there's going to knock. They're going to continue to knock. And it's with this thing called shameless persistence. That means over and over and over. You know, probably one of the greatest examples of that, just out of pure exasperations, uh, comes out of an, the Simpsons. And, and it's, the Simpsons has... Uh, Oh, we're not even, I'm not going to say that. Uh, this particular story is the kids want to go to Mount Splashmore. And they just follow their dad around, the oldest two 
continually saying over and over and over, take us to Mount Splashmore, take us to Mount Splashmore, until he finally, out of exasperation, gives in and they go. That's a five-year-old's method of dealing. Now, that's not a great example, but it is a great example of shameless persistence. And we're going to get to what they are asking for in just a moment. But, but the shameless persistence is, is for us. So the question is, if, if you can truly answer now to yourself, how often do you pray? There are some of us who grew up with families that prayed a lot. And, and some of us that grew up in families that never prayed at all and everything in between. But sometimes the prayer just becomes this rote little thing, right? We just kind of do it. You know, then now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, you say that, and the meaning kind of loses it. It's, 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 it's almost more. You know, if you think of Thanksgiving dinner and you're over, and then those dreaded words come as we're all sitting down at the table. Someone says, Grandpa, will you pray? It's like, no. The gravy's going to be all weird by the time this ends. But it's so beautiful, you know, as Grandpa prays and he's naming each individual and his love, and that's because he's mature and he's following hard after Christ at the end of his life. And he has been maybe for however long. But how often do you pray? Would you ever fall into the shamelessly persistent category? Because that's what Jesus is telling us to do. Will you keep praying? Will you keep praying? Will you pray over and over and over? And there's a reason because the more that's in our head, the more we begin to make a connection. There's a lot of people who don't know how to pray. And they've come to me and say, I don't know how to pray. Nobody ever taught me. I know nothing. What, what is this prayer thing? And the best explanation is this, is I'm a father of four, and my youngest is 17. And uh, I, sometimes I'll be sitting on the deck, which is all the time right now I'm sitting on the deck because uh, it's summer, and I'm taking a pause. But I'm there, and my kids will come up, and they'll begin to share something going on in their life, or they'll have a question or a struggle or a fear or an anxiety or some. they just witness something ridiculous, and they're talking to me about it. And, and I'm their dad, and I pretty much know what's going on in their lives. I've lived it, been there, done that. But when they're talking to me, I love it. When there's this communication, and they're, they're trusting me. And this earthly father, who's not going to give them scorpions or snakes, just my heart just swells when my kids talk. And it's this conversation, and that's what prayer is to our Heavenly Father. It's this conversation. And when my kids get busy and they're not around and I'm on the deck and I'm maybe by myself or whatever, and I watch them walk by, there's times where I want to go, hey, I'm here. Uh, But they're busy and they're growing up, so I let it go. Our prayer is a conversation with the Heavenly Father, with the Creator, with the King of the universe. That's what it is. The second point is that We're talking about needs because this little bit of scripture has been misused where if you just keep asking, you're going to receive. If you just keep going, it's going to happen. And, you know, like a little kid is going to go, uh, ice cream for breakfast. And and we may give them food for breakfast, but ice cream's a bad choice. Okay. Uh, so, so, So it isn't about the wants, it's about the needs. And Jesus taught them that in the prayer just before. Give us our daily bread. 
So if you're unemployed, living in mom's basement, jammy pants, <laughs> uh, and you're a poor money manager, if you pray a lot, you're not getting a red Corvette. Okay? Uh, it most likely isn't going to happen. That's selfish at that point. So when we're praying, sometimes like we can't figure out the words to say in this recent tragedy, it can be more of a groaning and, and it's going to be translated into what we need. And the reason is, is the closer and the more we pray with that persistence and the closer we are to Jesus. The third thing is this. This is the very end here. Shocked me when I first read this. Because I've listened to this preached on, talked on. I've read it before. I've heard it read out loud. And I just didn't catch this part. So as a five-year-old, in my faith, i got to believe this. And it makes me excited. So it says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? There's nothing in there about about a red Corvette. But there is something in there about the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, you know, I, I'm not a believer that, that it just like, I, it, the Holy Spirit comes and now I'm all that I'm going to be. It's a process. You know, I continue to grow and, and I need to continue to seek. So if I'm shamelessly asking, and I know that it's for the needs rather than all of the weird things. And the Holy Spirit comes, a change begins to happen. And the change is subtle sometimes. Sometimes it's not. The change is, is, is real and it's palpable. And, and it's happened to me. I've been in situations where I have no words, nothing to say. My heart is angry and frustrated. And something happens and beauty comes out. That's not me. I'm a jerk. I'm a, I'm a selfish, manipulative person. Just like you. Sorry. But we're all human, and we fit in this category, and, and it's us, it's our needs, it's, it's, you know, so much of it is about me, and that's not it. It's like the Holy Spirit's going to come in, because God also taught, taught us, uh, what, through Jesus, when he, when, when he says, uh, love your neighbor as you desire to be loved, as you want to be loved, and man, that's a hard one to dwell on. So, I don't want to be loved with things I want to be loved differently in words that maybe I don't really even have. But there's a problem. Because if we pray this way, if we follow the Lord's Prayer, and we're asking for his will to be done, that's what it says in the Lord's Prayer. If we're asking for our daily bread, that's what it says in the Lord's Prayer. And we're persistent, audacious in the quantity of times that we ask. If we know that it's for needs and, and if we get the truth of the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us and it's going to change us and, and there's going to be this new heart created, this new heart, there's this problem that gets in the way. And what gets in the way is me. Uh, probably you. Because we're all children and we haven't arrived all of the way yet. Are you still teachable? Does... The thought of someone teaching you scare you, or does it excite you? If it scares you, I'm going to say you're acting like an adult. 
And if it gets you excited and motivated, I'm going to say you're a child again. And that's a good thing. Be a child. Things that get in the way are resentments and fear and stubbornness. Resentments, fear, and stubbornness. In my line of work, I've, you know, I've said before, I observe a lot, and I have the privilege where people will come and talk to me. And it's not just some of you maybe that's been in my office. There's thousands of other conversations that go on. And the resentments that are piled up in some people's lives are magnificent in their size, in their height, in their width, in their depth. And they have no clue that they're even there. And a resentment is a, this, this thing where it's usually towards another person. Now, I know that there have been events within this congregation where maybe as a child or as an adult, there was an abusive, horrible situation. I'm not talking about that. I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm talking about you and your responsibility and the relationships around. Resentment cause disunity. How many times I watch a couple come in and they're here uh, getting ready to get married and it's a blast. I love, that's one of my favorite parts of my life is, is watching the communication and the different ways that we do that. But, but I watch that and then later on all of a sudden there's the sitting, they can't even hardly sit on the same couch anymore. And, and God desires them to be unified as one. And something happened and often it's this high level of resentment. And a little resentment weighs nothing. But then a resentment that's put in that backpack, and we continue, and sometimes we're shoveling them, and and then often what we do is we go find a friend who will agree with our resentments and actually add a few that you never even thought about. Suddenly, your leap of joy becomes a fall, and it's really hard to move forward. And you become bitter, and your soul is shriveling. And it's kind of ugly. But it's what we know how to do. So we do it. We may even go, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be something else. Those resentments that we just continue to hang on to, one of the things it does is it helps us focus on someone else and their glaring error of whatever it was. And at that point in time, we become very much like one of the stories in the Bible where the the rich man who follows all the rules stands at the front of the church and goes, thank you, God, that I'm not like that sinner back there. And in the back is a humble man saying, God, I don't even really belong in your presence. That's pretty ugly. It's kind of like watching all of you walk around with no clothes. That's ugly. (laughs) The stubbornness that I see is uh, also profound. We're unique in that. Uh, we will continue to go back into the mire of things that create pain for us. And we're so sure that our genius has it figured out. And if everybody else would just go around what I believe, then we'd all be good. And that's not true. That's a lie. What happens in this disunity that's being created among husbands and wives and families and 
I've seen more of it in the last year, and maybe it's because we're bigger, and maybe because God's been teaching me this lesson over and over and over for myself and for you. Is, 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 it's real, and it's ugly. And he wants us to do something different, and he's taught us something so beautiful. He, he says, will you be a child again? Will you go back to that childlike faith? Will you be persistent, like agonizingly persistent in what you're asking for? And will you trust, like a five-year-old, that the Holy Spirit is going to resolve this? Will you stop being afraid of the change? Because fear is the real emotion. We show it in many different ways. The most popular is anger, where all of a sudden the voices get raised. Oh, I hate doing that, sorry. Because <laughs> that was me. And the rage shows, and the anger, and the disappointment, and all of that stuff, and the, the surety that I'm right and you're wrong. The surety of that. Oh, five-year-olds don't do that in their best moments. Adults, we do, and the reason is because we're totally afraid. What if I have to learn something new? What if I have to say out loud, I don't know how to do everything? I'm going to ask you to raise your hands if you've got your act together and know how to handle every situation. Hey, <laughs> really? No, <laughs> nobody did that. We don't. We're a work in progress. Teachability is the greatest thing, and there's a reason and a purpose, and part of it is for your sanity. I really believe God desires you to be happy, joyous, and free. And if you were able to record yourself in conversation, how much is happy, joyous, and free? How often is prayer going to be involved in there? How often are we going to be asking for the Holy Spirit? Because God says specifically here, if you ask, you will receive. If you knock, it'll be opened. How many of us are doing that? Satan has this tool. You know, and spiritual warfare is real as the day is long. And it's a passion of mine to be able to point it out first in myself and then amongst others. We have a beautiful building happening next door, don't we? I mean, I don't know if you've been in there, but the, the lights are on and the doors open. Go check it out. It's so cool. And we're going to move. I don't think he even cares about the building anymore. What I think he really cares about is us. And he knows, and his minions know, exactly what parts of you and what buttons to push and where to begin to create doubt and where to start to have resentment and where the fear is going to be and how stubborn we are. He's going to begin to divide marriages. I'm seeing it now more than ever. He's going to take father and sons and mothers and daughters and create wedges that are huge and miles wide. Because he knows if we're unified, miracles happen. This last little bit of scripture I want to share with you. It's John 17, verses 20 through 23. It's out of the message, and, and, and this, is, this is hope. This is the end of Jesus' life, and this is what he chooses to say to us. It's a, it's a beautiful chapter, 
And it's one that you could just read and contemplate on for, for months at a time. But this is what he says, for us. He said, I'm praying not only for them, that's the people that were surrounding him as he's ready to ascend to heaven, and, and the other believers, okay? Uh, but also for those who will believe in me. That's us. So Jesus, at the end of his life, prayed for you, and it's being brought to your attention this moment. Because of them and their witness about me. That's the end of that sentence. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave to me, I gave to them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are. I and them and you and me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness. And give the godless world evidence that you sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. That takes the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish that. He's saying, will you be unified? Here's the goal. And the goal isn't so that, you know, we get to have that red Corvette or that everybody agrees with everything that I think is right because I fall into that trap just like you do. That, that, that's not the goal. The goal is the unity so that the world might believe that God sent his son, Jesus. That's the mission, right? Change lives. Spiritual warfare is happening. It's happening not just here, but around the world. And there's a lot of evil. Have you read the news? It's hard. Sometimes I just got to close it because I can't read anymore. But as the band comes forward, I'm going to tell you that the message is this. Can we be unified? See, in the first unification that you need to persistently pray for is your unity with Christ Jesus. Okay? Then the second thing is, is, is your openness and your plea for the Holy Spirit to guide you. The next is that we need to do it with childlike faith that it's going to happen because he said it will. And then the unity that I have with Christ allows me to have unity with my spouse. And it starts to open that bag of resentments, and they begin to trickle out. They begin to leave. And our stumble starts to become a walk, and then it begins to become a run. And the Holy Spirit... The possibilities are endless of what can happen. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's amazing. It's going to be so powerful. Jesus prayed for our unity. Not just here. It is for here. But with you and him. And he prays for that unity so that more lives might be changed. So that those that are far away, those that are in the world, of the world, 
might see this shining light. And there's this opportunity if, if we can pray these prayers on a consistent basis that the light's going to be a little brighter. If God can use me, this flawed, squirrely guy, if he can use me, he certainly can use you. So many of you are so wonderfully made and passionate and gifted. And what's in you is just so unique. And God's going to continue to place the right people in you. You've done so well. Do you know that the majority of people who attend our church, according to our surveys, are because somebody here asked them to come. And I don't think they went to divinity school first and then how to be the super salesman. I believe they prayed for unity, for the Holy Spirit, and for opportunity. And I believe that was open to them and they were obedient Left to their own desire, they probably wouldn't have been obedient. But with the Holy Spirit within them, they were. And then those people come and then they begin to hear this message of grace and love and acceptance. Of peace and joy and purpose. Meaning the life. And the Holy Spirit dwells. There's this great opportunity to to show unity. And that's at the baptism coming up in a few weeks. There's those that get baptized, but that's awesome. But the the best part is the crowd. It's just like this shining witness for our king. And the applause that happens, it's gorgeous. If you bow your head.